The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Main Street Vegan. I am your host, Victoria Moran. So, so happy to be here today. Whenever the announcer says, let's get this party on the road, and I am just sitting here by myself waiting to talk to somebody on the telephone, I always think, okay, it's a party. It doesn't look like a party, but today is one of those amazing and wonderful days when it does look like a party, and that's because we actually have an audience I am sitting here at my dining room table looking out at the most beautiful group of glorious, wonderful, bright vegans who comprise the June class of Main Street Vegan Academy. And I have actual living guests, too. It's just almost more than I can take. But what I'd like to do to get started is just read you the Charles Fillmore quote for the day. And then we will get started with my wonderful co-host, Zachary Koval. I talked about him last week because he was and continues to be in my book, (laughs) PETA's sexiest vegetarian next door. Woo-hoo-hoo. But he's sitting next to me, and, you know, maybe if you come to New York City, you can meet him. And he will sit next to you, too. You know, here's my Charles Fillmore quote. All right. Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of the Unity Movement, the sponsoring lovely people who make this radio show possible, he wrote in 1931, the invisible psychic agony of millions of cruelly slaughtered animals saturates our Earth's atmosphere and the whole race suffers in sympathy. We make intimate mental contact with the psychic terrors of our little sisters and brothers of the animal world when we devour their fear-shattered bodies. Now, these days, people don't say things like, when we devour their fear-shattered bodies. But you know what? We still devour their fear-shattered bodies every time we have a burger or a nugget. And I'm just so thrilled to be surrounded by people today who are making that history. Zachary Koval, my co-host, Jasmine Singer, and Mary Ann Williamson of our... Did I say that? Mary Ann Sullivan. How did I say Williamson? Oh, I remember. I used to know a Mary Ann Williamson. Darn high school. 
Everybody you ever knew in high school's name just keeps popping up again. I'm so sorry, Marianne Sullivan of OurHenHouse.org. But first, Zachary, how you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me on well, the show. Well, thank you for being part of Main Street Vegan Academy. I am so thrilled to be able to be here. Well, that's wonderful. I know you're also training to be a personal trainer. Yes, that is kind of the next step. Once this is over, then I'm going to get my, my certification as a personal trainer and hopefully put the two pieces together. That's wonderful. So what's your website so everybody can see how good looking you are? <laughs> um, my my website right now is ZacharyKobal.com, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-O-V as in Victor A-L. Um, and that's got a, it's kind of, it's kind of my acting website actually. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to create a, a new website for, for my vegan coaching business. But um, for right now you can find me there on Facebook. Um, I think it's official Zachary Koval, um, facebook.com backslash official Zachary Koval. Ooh, official. official. Okay. This is all good. So what is a nice young man from Portland, Oregon doing living in New York city, eating vegetables and being splashed all over <laughs> center folds for PETA? <laughs> I'm having a great time. Um, I came to the city, um, I guess, what is it? Four and a half, almost five years ago. It's just gone by in a flash um, as an actor. Um, I mean, just kind of Broadway dreams. Um, and I moved out here and I did some smaller theater and I worked at the theater company for a couple of years and I've done a lot of children's theater. Um, but my life kind of changed about three and a half years ago, almost four years ago when I got a job at a, a vegan restaurant in the Upper West Side. Um, and I got the job under the false pretense that I was vegan. Um, my friend got me the job there, um, and told the manager that I was vegan. I'd already been vegetarian for like 16 years before that and had aspirations of going vegan. Um, but hadn't made the full leap yet. But um, but in getting this job and having my managers and everyone at the restaurant think that I was vegan, I was like, all right, this is the perfect opportunity to just jump in and go into it. Um, and I had a, an amazing support from all the other people who I was working with and had amazing food from the restaurant. Um, and I haven't looked back since. Wow. Well, you are proving the spiritual principle of acting as if. That might be a great this way for people to go vegan. <laughs> just kind of step yes. in, act as if act you are. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting that you came here with Broadway Dreams. I know that brings a lot of people to New York City. Brought my, my daughter here, and she is doing a lot with her acting and her stunt performing. Anybody who is um, listening live today on Wednesday, June 19th, Adair is going to be on Royal Pains tonight in her stunt performer work. She's an actor and a stunt performer. She's going to do something dangerous on a skateboard behind a car. So that's kind of cool. And she also just got a real job at the Wild Bird Fund. So she's going to be getting paid for rehabbing animals, which she already does in her spare time. It's a great thing. So tell us how you got to be PETA's sexiest vegetarian next door. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. I Right about the same time that I was going vegan, um, I started training for uh, a Tough Mudder run, which is a, a big mud race. It's about a 12-mile mud race, a race through the mud, basically, um, with military-grade obstacles interspersed between it um, and in training for that, I realized that I had to train myself really hard, or otherwise there's no way I'd make it through it. So I started working out very hard and um, and basically transformed my body because I used to be a very, very skinny kid, and I still see myself as skinny. But I, I feel like I, I bulked up a lot um, on a vegan diet um, in training for this. And one of my friends is a photographer, and he said, hey, let's have a photo shoot. So we did a photo shoot, and I posted the f- picture online, and one of my friends said, hey, you should post this and enter it into this PETA's Sexiest Vegetarian Next Door um, contest, which I'd never heard of. Um, and so I entered it and made it through three rounds and ended up winning um, this title and a trip to Hawaii, which I'll be taking in a couple of weeks, um, which I'm really excited about. And yeah, and then, then this has transformed my life in that before this, I was always, I was content to be, you know, I'm, I'm happy being vegetarian and being vegan, um, but I never thought of living as anything but an example. And so people would be like, oh, I eat meat. I'd be like, okay, well, that's your choice. You know, that's okay. This is what I do. Um, but in, in getting this title and, and finding this kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say fame, but um, recognition of this and realizing that this is something that I really want to advocate for. And I want, and people are interested in knowing things about this because I get this and people are asking me questions and saying how they're inspired. And um, and this is something that I want to share with everybody. And so that's why I'm really excited to be here at the Main Street Academy, um, Main Street Vegan Academy, to to learn how to do that and I'll become better at that. Oh, well, here at Main Street Vegan Academy, we promise to teach people about veganism, 
and about sharing about veganism and also about how to be a sexy vegan. <laughs> that is a promise. And if I do not come through on that promise, Zachary, you will have to teach right. an extra little course of how to be. It's hard work. It's how hard to be work. a sexy vegan. You know, it's just, it's delightful. You know, as much as we know about what's going on in the world and all the suffering and all the sadness and how so many people say, I don't want to know. Because I guess they think it'll make them sad, mm-hmm. like their lives would not be good anymore. Well, and, and if you, I mean, with knowing comes, um, this, you have to act. Like if you know something, then you have to do something about it. And so it's easier to put your hands over your ears because then you don't have to act. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I look around at everybody here and we know and we're sad, but we also have really great lives. It's sort of like those yeah. two things can exist together. As we're making things better for the animals and the we, planet. We, we feel that pain, arteries. but then we also feel the opposite of it and the immense joy of feeling compassion and the connection with all the living creatures and, and beings. That is right. And that is the perfect seg to stay tuned during this break because we're going to come back with Marianne Sullivan and Jasmine Singer of OurHenHouse.org, Changing the World for Animals. Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to tens of thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you have been served by this programming, we invite you to support it by visiting www.unity.fm and clicking on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. We're playing with the Skype here, trying to get videos so that the engineer can get a look at Zachary. I was saying, Zachary, you're so lucky that you got to be Peter's Sexiest Vegetarian Next Door in your early 20s because you're going to have like 60 years of people saying, weren't you the 2012, where if you're somebody like Sean Connery, who wasn't People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive until he was 65, that just cut down so much on the amount of time to enjoy all the attention. So we're about to pay some attention to our first guest, Jasmine Singer of OurHenHouse.org. Jasmine also started her career in theater. She was with Farm Sanctuary for a time and then became the co-founder of Our Hen House in 2010. So Jasmine, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's so exciting to be here live and in person. It's so wonderful to have you. And hello, Zachary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you and Marianne just taught a wonderful class on animal rights and animal law for us, and we're going to talk about some of those things. But first, tell us just a little bit 
bit about Our Hen House and what you guys are up to. Oh, sure. Our Hen House, which you can find at ourhenhouse.org, is a nonprofit. We're a multimedia hub of opportunities to change the world for animals. So we publish a daily online magazine with different content every single day and a weekly podcast, which you could find on iTunes or you could find it at ourhenhouse.org. And we have a lot of fun. I was listening to what you two were saying just a few minutes ago about being positive, and that is our MO. We like to be indefatigably positive because as we were talking about during our class, in a world where there is so much to be sad and angry about, and I am, I'm sad and angry, there's also a lot of positivity to latch onto. So we latch onto it with our hen house, and we create inroads for anybody who cares about animals to get involved with changing the world for them. And we have a lot of fun. Well, you do have a lot of fun, and you do a lot of good, and you get a lot of attention. Your podcast has been... Tell me exactly how we say it, because I think I sometimes say you won, and then I say you were nominated, and you said, no, it's different. I'm okay with you saying we won. Okay, they won. <laughs> no, we didn't, though, but I'm okay with you saying it anyway. So there's this this thing called the Webby Awards, and it's it's a pretty big deal, and our Hen House's podcast was named an official honoree, and we were alongside such heavy hitters like NPR and Canadian Broadcasting Network and Scientific American, and it was really thrilling because, like you, we do our little show in our living room, and we have some, like you, we have some diehard listeners, and so it was awesome to get that kind of attention. Well, I love that you have your podcast because listening to yours and listening to mine and listening to Colleen Patrick Goudreau's and some of the other ones that are out there has made walking my dog Mm -hmm. so much less of a chore. Well, that's why we do it. We do it for the dogs. (laughs) This is good. Do you have a dog, Zachary? I don't. Um, I had them growing up, but um, uh, my roommate has a a chihuahua and we also have two cats, um, but I don't have any personal dogs or cats. The day is still young. I could tell you where the nearest shelter is. (laughs) So, Jasmine, you guys just got a whole lot of attention, but you're not necessarily thrilled with all of it. So tell us about what happened and the price of fame. Okay, well, I will say ultimately that I I am very happy that all of this is happening. That's my bottom line. So basically, there's this restaurant. A lot of your listeners are probably familiar with it. It's called Red Robin. And it's a fast food restaurant, and they don't have it here in New York, but my partner, Marianne, who you will be speaking with in a few minutes, we were just on the Cape, on Cape Cod, and we saw a TV commercial for Red Robin. And at the end of the commercial, they said, and now we also, we have veggie burgers in case you have a teenage daughter who might be going through a phase. (laughs) Anyway, so we were like, "Did, did, did we just see that? Did that just happen? So we wrote it down because we wanted to discuss it on the next episode of our show. And then Business Insider came out with a story about it and how it's offending vegetarians and vegans. And from there, a reporter named Beth Greenfield, she contacted me and said she was writing a story for the front page of Yahoo, so yahoo.com. And she asked if I would comment on it. Well, yes, I'm happy to. And I wrote a little comment, and she published a very small part of it, and it basically said, while I applaud Red Robin for offering a veggie burger, you know, I I think maybe they should think twice about offending both vegans and girls, which is the target audience they have here. And that was pretty, I think I said that in another sentence as well. So that was pretty much my takeaway. Then they cut to a quote from PETA, also saying a very similar thing. And the rest of the article was a pullout section about an article that we recently posted on Our Hen House by a fabulous vegan blogger and a guest writer for Our Hen House, Katrina Donovan Fleming. And actually, it might be Katrina Fleming Donovan. I always get confused with these double last names. Anyway, It's a wonderful piece about being a quote-unquote humorless vegan. And, you know, it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's about exclusionary humor and how good humor is not exclusionary. And so, lo and behold, the article pops up a couple hours later on Yahoo, and now it's just the next day. It hasn't even been up for 24 hours, and it has something like 10,000 comments. Now, of course, I don't read the comments because, you know, I'm not masochistic. Mm-hmm. But I have been getting actual horrible hate mail, like, in my email box. And people have to work pretty hard to find my email address from my website and on Facebook and Twitter. And I think it's just shocking. What I said was pretty innocuous. I just basically said, 
the facts that they're offending their target marketing group. And, and, you know, people have even brought up the fact that I'm a lesbian and get kind of gay bashing me in their, in their emails to me. So I find this all fascinating. Ultimately though, I'm thrilled. I'm completely thrilled that people are going to be going to Red Robin and having this veggie burger and, and this conversation is out there. Wow. 10,000 comments. Can you imagine if we could get that amount of attention? Like on our on like on our hen house, I would basically die to get that kind of attention. Well, I think I've heard from someone else who's talking who writes a blog and they were saying how um you know, you have you have your haters online, but they're almost they're they're actually they serve an important purpose because then you have your other people who fight for you and they will fight against those people for you. So you have these two sides like battling towards you, but these people who are fighting for you wouldn't really be speaking up unless these other people didn't say these mean horrible things. Right. Absolutely. And there were a lot of spelling errors and grammar errors in the, in the emails. So there's that. But Zachary, you must be used to it because even though you've been getting a lot of wonderful recognition, I'm sure you're getting people making fun of you too. Um, I mean, I have close friends who are making fun of me, especially since I, I mean, I've, I've never been secret about being vegetarian or vegan, but I've definitely like been speaking about it a lot more. Uh-huh. And so I have a lot of friends, you know, commenting on things on my Facebook and making sarcastic comments about being, me being vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's been mostly positive uh, feedback. But what's that quote? I'm going to mess it up. Maybe Marianne knows it or someone could Google it. First, they, yeah. first they make fun of you. Yes, I'm messing it yes. up. Then they, you know, fight you. Then they, and ultimately they go vegan. Yes. <laughs> and I think that we're in the making fun of part of it. Maybe someone could pull up the quote and we could get the exact one. Because, you know, you, you take it for the team. And there's always throughout social justice issues, there's always been this kind of fighting back. And ultimately, you know, we're in it for the animals. And just like with the PETA contest that you're the winner of, and just like with this, the animals come out on top, I yes. think, I hope. Yes. That's the plan. That's the plan. So what are you going to do with this? Are you going to build on this in some way or just move on to the next thing? I think it's an interesting opportunity to, especially with the the negative comment I got about about being gay and how that offended him. I think that that could be an interesting column for me to write because, you know, there are connections between different social justice movements and othering, making someone less than you in order to justify your own behavior that's something I, re- I recently wrote about in an anthology that I contributed to that came out this year called Defiant Daughters, 21 Women on Art, Animals, and the Sexual Politics of Meat. And I think that this might be an interesting you know, area for me to explore on the column that I have on our hen house. So whenever we could make lemonade out of this, yeah. then I say go for it. Now, I know that uh, Carol J. Adams wrote a book 20 years ago called The Sexual Politics of Meat. But for people who don't know what that is, what is it? Yeah, I mean, this is where it comes in handy for people to pick up a copy of Defiant Daughters if they are able to. You could get it on Amazon or at your local bookstore. Actually, the, the, the money raised from it or made from it benefits our hen house, which is amazing. So The Sexual Politics of Meat, which was created by the incredible feminist Carol Adams, really talks about the way that society subjugates both women and animals and the connections therein. The fact that so many ads, for example, such as the one I was talking about from Red Robin, will subjugate women and animals in one fell swoop, or as Marianne likes to say, one swell foop. (laughs) And, you know, like, for example, you'll see a picture of a hamburger with stiletto heels popped out of it, and you're basically othering both the woman and the the absent referent, which is what Carol calls it, the the animal who is now a corpse, literally in front of you. And so she has this incredible theory. I I, I strongly encourage people to read the sexual politics of meat and to get a copy of the the slideshow that goes with it, which is another book called The Pornography of Meat. So that's basically what that is, and that is really ringing true with this Red Robin ad. It is indeed, and when you think about how female animals are are used and mistreated. I mean, the mother hen, the the mother cow. But then you think about the males. We were talking a lot today about people who have these backyard chicken 
gardens, right? <laughs> chicken operations, or people who say, "Well, I only get humane eggs." That's not even good to the boys. It's interesting that you should bring that up because I was thinking about that too when we were discussing it. There is a lot of talk, at least within veganism and animal rights, about this, the oppression of the the females. There's so much of that, as you mentioned, with dairy cows and with egg laying hens, but the boys too, because there's so many issues within backyard bird operations, you know, the birds can be transported through the mail. They come from the same hatcheries as the worst of the worst. Eventually the the hen will stop producing eggs and will be killed for meat anyway. And as you mentioned, there's no use for the boys in this industry. So they are literally killed at birth through suffocation or through being ground up alive. That is, that is standard. So yeah, Within the egg laying, within egg laying hens, the whole egg industry, the oppression of the boys is outrageous. Same thing with like roosters and cockfighting. There's a lot of of oppression of what the boys go through. You know, we talk about the dairy cows who have to be forcibly inseminated repeatedly in order to produce milk that humans then take from them. But the boy byproducts of that, they go into the veal industry. And also, what about the, you know, steers who have their semen extracted from them forcibly? There's a lot of mistreatment of the of the males as well. Castration of, of pigs and mm-hmm. other, other yeah. farm animals as well. Yeah. yeah. And so many of these practices have gone on forever. You know, a lot of people say, but I don't eat factory farmed meat, but the castration without anesthesia, the tail docking, the ear notching, all these things were going on even before factory farming that started after World War II. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how much things picked up. Just in, in like the 50s, this was not a long time ago, and things just really got so out of control. They got so big and so bad, and the the world cannot keep up with this. So we, we can't. We have to do something about it. Especially for people who, you know, have children or, or no children. And, you know, we all know a child. Is this the generation? Is Do we want to put this on the next generation? No, we have to clean it. We have to clean up the act and the earth. So, Jasmine Singer, in our last couple of minutes, what's your prognosis and what is your diagnosis? How do things look and what can we do about it? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I think that you know, despite everything we're saying, I do remain hopeful. I mean, I, we were just talking with your beautiful and and brilliant students, and I said, how many people have been vegan for less than three years? And the vast majority of the hands went up. The, the fact is that more and more people are connecting the dots about what's happening behind closed doors because of the in, investigations by groups like Mercy for Animals, because of letters to the editor that we get out, because of shows like yours, because of people bringing humane education to the classroom because of artists who are incorporating animal themes into their art, into their theater, into their photography, because of all of this, we are making a difference. We are changing the world for animals. So I think we just have to keep doing that and do it more so. I think media is a very, very important way in. I mean, as Marianne will probably talk about in her next segment with you, we we can't just rely on the law. We have to also create change in our own lives. So my my uh, my prognosis, you know, I I think we're gonna get there. I think it's gonna be hard, and I think we are not at the worst part yet. I don't. I, I think that things will get really bad with the environment first, and I'm not gonna buy an apartment on low level where it could get flooded because flooding is in the future. You know what I mean? In fact, it's in the now for a lot of people who are not privileged enough to live in lower Manhattan where I live. Is that hopeful enough? Because I'm trying to be hopeful. Does it sound good? Well, I think it's hopeful in a room like this where I'm looking around at all these beautiful faces and these are such beautiful people. Now I, I understand all human beings have great beauty and worth, but in a group of vegans, there is just more prettiness than one often sees because of the health. You know, when people are really healthy and fit, there's just this radiance. And that radiance reminds me of what you guys are all doing to make things better. 
Do you have a one-minute question for Jasmine? Ah, one-minute question. I'm just curious, I guess, because we come from a similar background of theater, and so how you see acting in theaters or background helping you with your animal advocacy. It's a great question, and I do think it's interesting how many people come to this from the arts in a variety of ways. I think that I try and incorporate theater as much as I can into the workshops that I do with Marianne. We have little skits we do. We have improv that we do. And, of course, having the public speaking skills, which I got from a background in theater, helped a lot. Marianne is actually trying to get me to write a one-woman show detailing my journey into veganism and the plight of animals. So I, that might be in my future. That's, that's part of the way that I think I go there. That is so exciting because I've been playing with a one-woman show for a long time. Maybe we should make it a two-woman show. <laughs> that would be fun if we could have a two-act and, and serve vegan food during intermission. Yeah, I wanted to do the making of a Made Street Vegan which is just how this girl from Kansas City who was overweight and had a lot of acne and other problems became a vegan and became radiant and happy and useful. And act two could be how Kansas City has become one of the most vegan-friendly cities in the country. Isn't that the truth? And that's where our show is coming from. Mm -hmm. Our wonderful engineer Jeff is out there in KC even as we speak. Fantastic. So maybe we can talk about this because it's the technical aspects that scare me of having to have all that background film. Yeah. Well, let's do it. I think there's ways around everything. And I think that would be an important, you know, actually we're featuring that on our blog today because the activist Ayinda Howell has a new one man show coming out this weekend in Hollywood. And we've covered other people like Zoe Weil and Katya Lidsky who've done one person shows that speak up for animals. And there's more room for the arts to embrace animal rights. Zachary, you could be the other act. Yeah. We could, we, yeah, we could be like Hamlet. We could just go on and on. Jasmine, bless your heart. Jasmine Singer, ourhenhouse.org. Thank and you so much. You, I adore you, Victoria Moran. I adore you back. And we will get more of Our Hen House with the wonderful Marianne Sullivan, JD, after these messages. Stay with us. We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back, and thank you so much for being with us today or tonight or whenever it might happen to be for you via the wonder of podcasting. We're here today with Zachary Koval, ZacharyKoval.com, PETA's sexiest vegetarian next door, and with Mary Ann Sullivan, 
Marianne Sullivan is the co-founder of OurHenHouse.org. She is the co-host of the Our Hen House podcast. She is also an attorney, and she is an animal rights attorney and a professor of animal law at several New York City law schools. She also recently returned from a sabbatical in Portland, where she was teaching law at Lewis and Clark University. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you so much. It's exciting to be here. Well, it is exciting to have you. You know, most people don't know there is such a thing as animal law. What is it? Well, everyone should know that there are laws that pertain to animals, like everything else in the world. The, the law governs how we how we behave in different ways. And so animal law is a is a subject area, but it kind of brings together laws from from different areas, and and it doesn't really deal, at least the way I I address it, with the laws of how we do commerce in animals, the buying and selling of animals. It has to do with the law in the way it affects animals, and and whether it it and whether or not it protects animals, and sadly, it very seldom does. So I I divide it into a number of different areas. One is the law that that protects really companion animal owners. And they are owners under the law because animals are property under the law. And, of course, this is an area of law in which many people are concerned. The law is about about, uh, what happens if their companion animal is injured or harmed by somebody. Can they recover money? The short answer to that is no. Uh, The law is very harsh there and does not allow you to recover for when your animal is harmed. Or the law is about how to protect your animal after you die. Or, Or the law is about... What happens to animals when they when they aren't in your home anymore, when they become homeless? So there are many laws uh, that people are somewhat familiar with, uh, even ranging from the very local laws, like your leash laws, or think, ways that control your relationship with your companion animal. But then there are also laws that control the protection of animals from, from people who would do them harm. And every state has a cruelty law, which protects animals from uh, something along the lines of unnecessary suffering. And that is a great statement, but as we see in, when I teach it in class, it doesn't really work out that well in practice. And the, the laws protecting animals are, end up being very, very weak, and particularly when it comes to animals who are held in institutional settings, animals in research or animals on puppy farms. And most of all, of course, my greatest concern, the many, many billions of animals who are killed for food in this country and when it comes to those animals, the laws are incredibly weak. And actually, the subject of animal law mostly involves talking about the failures of the law in that aspect. And then there are also an inter- some interesting topics pertaining to the rights of people who care about animals. Uh, some of the recent ag-gag legislation with, in which some states have passed laws and other states have considered passing laws that would that would prohibit people from taking pictures of animals in, in, in harmful states, such as in on um factory farms, and, and uh, uh, other First Amendment issues of when you can speak out for animals and, and when even uh, First Amendment issues protecting those who would abuse animals. There was a recent Supreme Court case that involved the rights of someone who was selling videos of dog fights and, and of, of crush videos that are these horrible videos where animals are cruelly uh, and brutally killed for the sexual gratification of people. And, and this was found, uh, prohibiting the distribution of those videos was found to be in violation of the First Amendment. So there are so many different ways in which the law intersects with animals. Wow. Um, I asked a question. So we were, you were talking earlier about, um, as we were talking about what's, what's happening next. I mean, we have these laws, but they're obviously not doing enough. Um, and I know that from, from my point of view, and I think a lot of people's point of view, we think, well, the laws are going are to be where the change comes from. Um, but it's not really happening fast enough. And so, I mean, where do you see the, the change and um, the evolution coming, um, coming from for, for um, animal rights? Is it coming from the people or is it going to be coming from the laws and the government? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it is something that people have misperceptions about, that, that the law will change things. The law doesn't change things. People change the law. And when there are big businesses influencing legislatures, they are only going to change the law if people demand very loudly that they change it. So especially since we live in very conservative times and the law doesn't change easily and businesses is very powerful and agribusiness is very powerful in our state legislatures and in Congress, change will never come from from the law itself. I, people cannot rely on that. And I think too many people, I hear people say all the time, 
Well, I'm sure the laws protecting animals on factory farms aren't strong enough, but, you know, at least, you know, they do have people inspecting them. And, and none of this is true. There are no laws protecting animals on factory farms. They're completely without protection at all. A, a colleague of mine, David Wilson, wrote an article about this a few years back, and, and the title of the article was Beyond the Law. And these animals truly do live beyond the law. They are not protected by law. Nobody is going in there to inspect. In the first place, there are no laws protecting them, so there's nothing to inspect to see if, if people are complying with those laws. And people aren't allowed on factory farms. They're private property. So these animals are truly living without legal protection, and the only way that is going to change is if people demand that it change. And if people, and if society starts to change, and if people change in their individual lives and show that they're against uh, the horrible treatment of animals and the slaughter of animals by, st- by stopping participating in it. And I was so excited to hear what you said about your participation in Main Street Vegan, that, that in the past you've lived... You've lived in in accordance with your beliefs about compassion to animals, but you haven't really spoken out about it, and that's shifted. And I think that's so exciting to hear because that's what everyone has to do. They have to start speaking out because, as we all know, we're all the animals have. And unless people start start speaking out, unless people's hearts and minds change, the law is not going to change, and people should not live with the illusion that the law is protecting these animals. It's definitely not. Well, that's a very widespread illusion. I've heard so many people say it can't be that bad. They wouldn't allow it. So what laws do exist? Who's covered and who isn't? Well, there are very few laws protecting animals. There is a federal law called the Animal Welfare Act, which sounds great and which is great. And and it covers actually animals who are owned by industry. And it it it. it, it provides very minimal protections, but very real protections because the the uh, treatment of animals would be so much worse without it. But even though it covers animals in, on pup, in puppy mills and covers animals in research and covers animals in entertainment, and even though it's called the Animal Welfare Act, it absolutely excludes completely all animals on farms, all farm animals. And, of course, this is 98% of the animals who are held in industry in the United States. Uh, it's an enormous, just staggering number of animals, and they're completely unprotected by this federal law that is uh, ironically called the Animal Welfare Act. And we're talking about a staggering number of animals. This is 10 billion animals a year that we kill for food just in the United States alone, and just land animals. We don't even measure the number of sea animals that we kill. And that's 286 uh, animals per second, or, or a million animals per hour, and that's 24-7 around the clock. It's just unbelievable that we we don't have a federal law protecting these animals in any way. And there are a few other federal laws relating to transport and slaughter that are very minimal and 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 poorly enforced, but important in and of themselves, and I hope to see them more powerfully um, enforced. And then there are state laws. Every state has a cruelty law that ostensibly applies to farm animals, but really in practice is not applied at all to the common practices. And in a majority of states, actually, the legislatures have have actually made exceptions in their cruelty laws for common uh, farming practices. So it's just a really crazy situation that that legislatures have recognized that these laws protect animals and are meant to protect, protect animals from unnecessary suffering, and yet have exempted everything that the industry does as long as it's customary. It's as if uh, the chemical industry was regulated and was exempt from pollution laws as long as they were emitting chemicals into the river that was in the customary amount. No other industry is is regulated in such a crazy way, and it just shows the power of agribusiness and how they have really eviscerated any laws that could even pretend to protect animals. So people should not hide behind the illusion that, that animals are protected on factory farms. There have been a few signs of progress in the past 10 years or so when citizens have spoken up and, and animal protection groups have gathered enormous number of signatures to put proposals on the ballot in these states and, and, and try to eradicate the very worst of the worst of agribusiness practices, such as the gestation crate for pigs, which confines pregnant pigs in a way for years in which they are not able to move one step forward or one step back or turn around or or really move at all. It's just a horrifying situation. And people, when this has been on the ballot in several states, have said, no, we don't want this. This should be against the law. But it's a disgrace that that had to 
be done by people voting on it rather than having legislatures speak up for the people that they represent and, and put these limits onto agribusiness. And so whether the, the hope for the future is that legislatures will start waking up and start recognizing that people's sentiments about how animals should be treated should be recognized. But the much greater hope is that people will recognize that this is not a question of eradicating the worst of the worst abuses. We should just stop this industry in its tracks. What people need to do is just quit, just just end the slaughter. And the way to do that is, is to change your personal life in powerful, strong ways that will make your life so much better. Don't rely on the law to protect these animals. I feel like that's a, I mean, on one hand, it's, it's very depressing that we have these laws that aren't doing anything and these animals are suffering. But on the other hand, what you're saying is actually very empowering that we have the power ourselves to make a difference in what we do and what we say and what we eat um, every single day. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I don't think there's any other, you know, there are so many issues that we're all concerned about in, in the world. There's, there's horrible working conditions. We, we've seen recently of the terrible fire in Bangladesh in the textile industry. We know that there are so many huge, horrible problems around the world. And there's one problem that we actually contribute to directly every day and that we can just stop. The other ones, it's important to get involved. But our involvement will always be third hand and we have to work so hard to understand what we should do in order to do the right thing. This is so simple. We can just quit. We participate directly in the in the uh, exploitation and death of these animals and we can just stop it on a dime. It's so easy. That's such an empowering statement. And I think, too, when we stop eating animals, that is also a human rights issue. Because the working conditions in slaughterhouses are so dreadful. And you brought up today in your presentation that whenever there is, uh, for example, a Mercy for Animals uh, investigation, whenever we hear about terrible conditions involving animals on the news, the, the person who's prosecuted is some poor worker who's there for a minimum wage or less doing something egregious to an animal. But all these horrible things that are just all in a day's work are overlooked. Oh, yeah. It's all of the major practices are overlooked. And it's even overlooked that the supervisors are aware that there are certain employees who will be egregiously abusing animals. And I'm talking about terrible things like playing football with live turkeys or hitting cows over the head with a wrench to get them to move. I mean, just dreadful. Those are the only cruelties that ever seem to be prosecuted. The basic cruelty, the horrible confinement, the the mutilations without anesthesia, none of these are considered a crime by the prosecutor. So so yeah, they're never prosecuted, and there are so there are so many human rights issues that that come into play here. I think it's so important to recognize that that this is an issue in which the animals, of course, are the center point. the The lives and deaths of these poor creatures are the center point. But swirling around those issues are are what we have done to ourselves through through this exploitation, and and there's such synergy amongst these issues. The idea that by stopping this, by stopping the slaughter, by stopping the brutality, we can also resolve so many environmental problems that, that we're doing to our precious planet, that the, the pollution, the climate change issue implications of animal agriculture are staggering. And people are very naive about that. They're not aware of that. And just the, the sustainability issues, the fact that we, by, by feeding food that we have raised, to animals, we drastically reduce the number of calories that are available to people. So, and not to not to mention that we make the food much less healthy. So we are we are actually taking food raised on land that could feed people and could feed the world easily. And instead, we're feeding it to animals, treating those animals brutally, and at the same time, de- depriving people of the food that they could have if if that food was if the plant food was fed to them directly. It's with the we, we have to stop thinking in, in 18th century and 19th century terms. We're, in the, we're, 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 we're heading into a future where there are going to be 9 billion people on the planet, and we have to get serious about how we're going to feed them. And we're not going to feed them by, by channeling all of our grain and our beans through animals, thereby reducing its value and increasing the pollution that's caused. It's insane. The whole system is so insane that when you actually see it all together and all of the harm that is done by these by these systems it 
it, it actually is a very exciting moment that you see that we could solve so many problems in one very simple way. And not to mention the enormous health problems that are caused by people having far too many animal products in their diet. The, the solution is so beautiful and it's so delicious. It is. You remind me of, of the great answer to the question, why are you vegan? Which is, why aren't you? Because <laughs> there's so many reasons. Now, I know something, Zachary, about Marianne that you might not know. What do you think she wanted to be when she grew up, when she was a little girl? Thanks. I don't know. She wanted to be a nun. Is that right? Well, there, I mean, there was a moment. <laughs> but was you, it wasn't after seeing The Sound of Music? <laughs> but you wrote a beautiful post on ourhenhouse.org about religion and animals. Talk to us about that. Yeah, and actually, the nun moment did have a lot to do with the outfit. When I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, they looked like nuns, you know? It was a great outfit. Um, but yeah, religion was fairly important to me when I was growing up. I, I did let it go. Uh, by the way, but I still have enormously important memories of of, of the feeling of, of of the beauty of of that spiritual connection. And I was raised a Catholic, as you can probably tell from my name, Marianne Bernadette Sullivan. And uh, I have fond memories of the Catholic Church, which of course have been uh, overshadowed by by some harmful memories of the Catholic Church, not personal ones, but of, of some of the harms that have, have been done to people of different sexual preferences, myself included, and, and some of the harms that have been done that everybody's familiar with. But at the core of it, there was, there was a great deal of beauty, and, and I actually miss that beauty. And I think that, that, that one of the things that, that became a problem for me was the requirement that, that you believe so many things about the universe, but, and the fact that animals were never included in that conversation. And there came a point for me where, where that was a very important part of the way I saw the world. And nobody in, in this organization and that was trying to teach me about what the world meant was, was addressing it. And I, I found that very perplexing and I continue to find it perplexing because I think that, uh, so many religions are just not facing up to this question and addressing it. And of course, people who are religious are, are focused on living their lives in the right way and finding the ethical um, and proper way through uh, these dilemmas. And, and they need to be addressing this question. They can't avoid it anymore. And I think that for me, veganism really has so many things in common with, with what religion meant to me. And I, that may sound crazy to people, but veganism goes deep for me. It's not just what I eat. It is really the way I see the world. It is, and it has made me see the world in, in a much more beautiful way, even though it does open you to all the hideousness that's going on. It connects you to, to other creatures and it connects you to the planet in ways that you really can't imagine. It really has a very spiritual dimension and, uh, it has changed the world for me. The fact that I don't eat animals. In fact, the idea of eating an animal just kind of freaks me out. I, I like it, even though I, I did for 40 years, I, you know, it was a perfectly common part of my life. Having made that shift, I can't imagine why one would want to eat an animal and break this connection with, with life on pla this planet. And I think that way of seeing it has a lot to do with my having had an early uh, religious education. So even though a lot of the rules and regulations um, of Catholicism didn't stick with me, the idea of seeing the world holistically that comes from religion and, and wanting to, uh, to express that in the way you live uh, really has. And veganism really is that for me. That's beautiful. I think of the, the Latin root of religion, religare, to lead back. And I think whatever we discover in life that leads us back to wholeness and leads us back to truth, that really is a religion, whether it's got buildings and clergy or not. I love that. I, I, did, I actually, even though I took four years of Latin in high school, I'm ashamed to say I did not know the derivation of that word. And I love that. It's a sweet, sweet thing. And you know what else is sweet going on in the world? These two just got married. Oh, congratulations. Jasmine Singer and Marianne Sullivan. Actually, they snuck off to City Hall and got married without telling anybody. But because friends are what they are, they had a great big old wedding party this Saturday after the fact. Marianne um, and Jasmine were feted by uh, another animal attorney, uh, David Wolfson, 
and Marisa Miller-Wolfson, his wife, who is the filmmaker for the wonderful documentary Vegucated. What were some of your favorite things that we ate at your party? Oh, my God. That's like the meanest question anybody has ever asked me. The food was unbelievable. I mean, this was a, a it was so kind of them to do this. And it was a potluck. Uh, so it, it, it was a group of very dedicated vegans who take food very seriously. And the food was unbelievable. And uh, some of let's see, what were some of the great things? Your Aztec salad was a, a standout for me. Oh, thank you. Black beans, tomatoes, <laughs> cilantro. I'll put it on cilantro. the Cilantro, anything that has cilantro in it. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the cilantro fans, not one of the cilantro. I, I know. 15% of the people think it tastes like soap. Too bad for them. Just tell me your favorite dessert because we have one minute left. Oh, the favorite dessert had to be the fabulous, fabulous wedding cake, um, which was enormous and absolutely beautiful and had flowers in it and had chocolate and cherry just as we as – we, um, as we uh, requested, and was by our friend Gretchen, the, the fabulous poet who, who wrote the book Kind. And everybody in, in the world of veganism can do everything, write poetry and make cakes and make us all happy. Ah, oh, what a creative bunch. Zachary, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Jasmine. Thank you, Jeff, our engineer out there in KC. And everybody, please be with us again next week when our guest will be Neil Barnard, MD, founder and president of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He's going to be talking about how to keep our brains healthy and about his new book, Power Foods for the Brain. Thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on this message from Daily Word. Is something in your life causing you concern? Don't be discouraged. The presence of God is peace and harmony, healing and creative ideas, is with you every moment of every day, providing the help you need. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. You are a spiritual being, blessed with all that you need for happiness and fulfillment. God's wisdom will guide you. God's strength will help you do all that you need to do. And God's joy will lighten your heart with hope and courage. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Oprah Winfrey says that Eric Butterworth's book, Discover the Power Within You, changed her perspective on life and religion. Maya Angelou quotes Emily Cady's Lessons in Truth as she recalls her own spiritual awakening. 
What do these books have in common? They share Unity's classic teachings. Join Rev. Laura Beth Gilbreth, Minister of Unity Transformation, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings. Follow along and contribute your thoughts, questions, and ideas as we examine these foundational teachings through the works of Unity authors past and present. Hooked on Classics, exploring Unity's classic teachings, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You've seen reality TV. Well, now get ready for reality radio. It's raw, unpredictable, and completely unscripted. Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels follows the lives of four people each season as they face their fears and overcome challenges. Listen in weekly and follow along as they take each faithful step on their journey. Learn what it takes to really heal your life. Dr. Chris Michaels shows you how to expect specific and measurable results from prayer. He says we must place a demand upon consciousness. We don't hope to get what we pray for. We expect it. As a 25-year veteran in the New Thought Movement, Dr. Chris has helped thousands of people find their way to success and healing. His faith is unshakable, and his commitment to helping others heal through the power of prayer is extraordinary. Don't miss Reality Radio, Healing Your Life with Dr. Chris Michaels, live Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm. 